0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Hearst Ranch Grass-Fed Beef, available on the internet at hearstranch.com. Hello, Greenhorns.
1: This is Severin, and this is Greenhorn Radio. I am... Very happy to be today on the phone with Sebastian, who is calling in from Washington State, where he has been engaged for more than the beginning number amount of years in the growing of organic vegetables, and is engaged in many levels of advocacy and support and structure of teaching, and golly, you do a lot of stuff, Sebastian. (laughs) Hey, Severin. How's it going Um, out there?
2: Oh, it's going good. Um, yeah, we're busy uh, this year. Uh, you know, today is a harvest day for our CSA, and um, overall things are good. I'm, uh, yeah, right now I'm the director of a, a new farmer training program at Green Bank Farm, and uh, it's basically an eight-month program, and folks come here, live here, uh, stay for eight months, and we grow a eight-acre garden Um, market to CSA and grocery stores, farmer's market. We grow some seed. um, And managing that garden is all the experiential piece to solidify what we learn in the classroom, which we spend uh, probably three mornings a week in the classroom talking about farming and uh, marketing and business planning. And just, yeah, my goal is to, to help the students that come here you know, fulfill their dreams of being able to start or manage a a small farm and and hopefully do that in a way that um, is profitable and, you know, heals our environment and satisfies their personal values all at the same time.
1: So I was on mute, and now I'm going to ask you a question again. (laughs) Uh, So obviously there's a major explosion in the number of people who are interested in engaging in professional training in in farming, and programs like yours and the Wigby Island School and the Bullock Brothers Permaculture Site and others around in the, oh, what's it called, Viva Farms and Growing Washington are, Mm -hmm. you know, popping up like mushrooms. (laughs) Tell us (laughs) why why we should refer our friends and family to come farm in Washington State.
2: Well, um... Washington State's a big place, and I can uh, talk about the Puget Sound area. But um, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a good place to farm. There's there's a lot of farmland. We've got um, quite a bit of water, and the you know the culture from Bellingham through Seattle down to Olympia and um, and on the Olympic Peninsula is. A community that that really values uh, good food has the resources to to buy good food and um yeah there's just a good uh food movement going on here, you know collaborations between chefs and consumers and there's farmers' markets and farm to school programs and so um, and there's just a lot of farm resources available so so it's a good place to to get started um, you know I've been on the Olympic Peninsula. Um, and, you know, most of the farms that I've run, have been really, uh, I've been pretty small scale, you know, I usually try not to market more than 20 miles away from the farm and, and I've been able to do that, um, which has been great. And so, you know, um, I mean, it feels like the, the new organic small farm movement has been growing for quite a while. Um, it feels like it's been mushrooming ever since I got into it 15 years ago and, um, <laughs> it hasn't really slowed down. Um, although I do notice that it is a little harder, I think, for for some folks to get going these days. I mean, when I was getting started, um, you know, farmers markets were wide open. You know, needing needing more supply and and demand was high, and um, there weren't that many CSAs around. And um, you know, things. I am noticing that you know there are in some areas farmers markets that are getting a little more saturated and. You know, and there are more CSAs around, so I think new farmers do need to, new depending on where they live, do need to come into the into the food system a little more creative. You know, maybe finding a, a niche, or um, you know, just really knowing what they want to do and how to how to tell their message, so they can really connect with the consumer and build that relationship that you know is so important.
1: So here, so here you are now engaged in teaching and in advocacy around seeds and with your fingers in a lot of different spots. How did you come to a place of life balance, uh, from farm startup and managing other people's farms to being able to have the time to, to do both farming and, uh, all this kind of logistical support? Maybe just describe a little bit your, your journey.
2: Sure. Um, Yeah, well, I I got um, farming mostly for the lifestyle, Um, you know, and I didn't actually really want to start a farm business. I just wanted to homestead and live in the mountains and be in nature, um, which is what I did to start with. But as I grew older and uh, started growing a family, I realized I needed more resources and I needed to to think about my farm more as a business, and and that I could still do that without compromising my values of you know being a good land steward and um, you know providing healthy food for folks. So yeah, I mean, as everyone listening knows, farming is hard. Um, it's hard to make a living. It takes a lot of work. Uh, we do it because we love it. But in those years, I've you know experimented because the social component was so important to me to in working with with nonprofits and educational organizations to see if I could you know continue farming and 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 keep my hands in the dirt while maybe getting a paycheck and you know having a life uh, a little bit easier financially um, and <laughs> and it more or less uh it works I mean it's all you know depends what you love um in this coming year I'm actually stepping down some of my hours here at Green Bank and I'm going to be re uh restarting a farm with my wife just because um a big I a big piece of what I love about farming was that you know my family could stay together I could l- work from home um and we haven't really done that for 3 years and so we're looking forward to to recreating that again um, but yeah no it's uh it's a challenge to find a a healthy life balance and, um, you know, you just, uh, you gotta just really love what you do. You know, I mean, when I haven't run my own personal farm in, in three years now, but when I did, I would, uh, farm production vegetables, you know, all day. And then in the evening I would, uh, garden and, and grow my hedgerows and my beneficial insect habitat. And, mow the place and keep it looking good and, <laughs> you know, all those little things that, that, that make a farm um, extra special, uh, you know, that I just love doing that, and so that's what I would do uh, with my spare time. But, yeah.
1: So you I mean, even, even love, have spare I love... time, I mean, this is amazing stuff we're hearing. So 15 years <laughs> in and, and all of this sovereignty and authorship of one's life and holistic decision-making... I'm very impressed. I I, I look <laughs> well, forward to the time when I'm less panicky. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm sound, making it sound rosier than it is, but uh, I mean, a lot of it's the the attitude that you bring to it. Um, I mean, I still get I still get stressed out, you know, and and uh, CSA season's about to start, and you know, do I have enough in the field? Am I going to have a big enough share? And... But, you know, after so many years and and everything always works out just fine. And so, you know, when those feelings do start to arise, when you're feeling overwhelmed or when you're panicked, I mean, it's best if you've done that so many times and you know it's going to work out okay, then you just try to <laughs> let those feelings go and, you know, and just keep plugging away. Um, and, yeah, you know, and setting personal boundaries. I mean, letting go of things, you know, um, you know, I've had to really work on my uh, perfectionist inclinations and and to be happy with things uh less than perfect because um you know in the in the big picture it doesn 't make sense to you know sometimes uh, work on some details or you know it 's all about just prioritizing everything that 's happening and and uh keeping a good balance um, and, well, and this yeah. is the thing
1: is there's when there's thousands of observations being made every day and thousand and and hund, only hundreds of uh alter alterations that you can make as a human to the living to the systems that you're engaged with, it's like uh, you can you can you can see all you want how you could optimize everything, and you might be right even with half of that, but it's just not possible
2: to do it all <laughs> no exactly. Um, you know and I mean and a huge piece of it is is to constantly be improving your systems and you know making them more efficient and um, you know from everything from how you plant and weed to what you know what crops you're going to grow when um, you know i've um, i'm a big advocate of doing a lot of you know, winter and spring planning um you know, and, and I pretty much just tried to plant crops that I know I can sell, you know, because um, if, you, if you plant less than that, then you're not meeting your market demand and you're, you know, missing out on potential income. But if you plant more than that, you're, you know, you're taking a risk and putting a lot of work so, into something that...
1: So let's move on to another topic, which is uh, organic seed, uh, organic seed situations. And I know that there's big news in GMO labeling going on, and there's a ballot measure in California. There were similar ballot measures in uh, Vermont and Connecticut, but there wasn't quite enough willingness to get down and dirty and, and to take on the legal battle with Monsanto. But in in California, it looks like it's going to be likely passed. There was over a million signatures to that ballot initiative. Gathered, um, what's the news from the from organic seed world?
2: Well, um, yeah, I try to keep up with you know what's happening with uh, and on that, but you know to be honest, most of my focus um, is more on creating a new seed system that, um, you know, what, sure, we need to stop the bad things that are going on, but we also need to replace them with something positive and powerful and sustainable. And and so in the organic seed movement, you know, what is that going to be? And, you know, and, and in my mind, um, we obviously need to get farmers back into the seed industry as um, active participants, not just. Uh, purchasers of organic seed, but people who are um, involved in in the breeding and the selection and the growing, and um, you know, ideally, creating some some regional networks uh, where you know we can instead of instead of all of us using the same varieties across the nation, you know, maybe you know we've got five or six regions across the country, and and we have varieties that are specialized for each of those regions. Um, And so, yeah, so I I work with OSA and um, Organic Seed Alliance based out of Port Townsend. Um, And so we're calling that, you know, participatory plant breeding model where, um, you know, uh, professional plant breeders, whether they work at a university or for a seed company, you know, getting them to work Uh, with farmers as much as possible, and then giving farmers the skills to do variety trials and, um, you know, really look at, you know, what's available out there and then select varieties that do well for them and then also give them the skills to take those varieties and improve them and further adapt them, you know, either to their climate or to their management style or to their um, soil types, whatever, you know, whatever criteria they want. but. But, yeah, you know, going back in time, farmers were were the seeds people, and, and now, you know, we're pretty much just seed consumers. And so, you know, reestablishing that skill set within the farm community, I think, uh, is the most important thing.
1: And the initiatives of the Pacific Northwestern farmers have not escaped notice in beyond the region. Uh, I've been in the region filming at the Willamette Bean and Grain Project, and with Adaptive Seeds and Lonesome Whistle Seeds, there's also Uprising Seed, Peasling Seed. Uh, There's a whole bunch of new seed companies whose businesses are a direct confrontation of the monopolistic kind of market actions of the big seed uh, vendors. And mm-hmm. it's right that that would be happening in your region because of the weather, but I think that I think it's also likely that the work of, of advocates like organic Seed alliance have made it very clear you know that there that the alternative is viable, and that there is support for those initiatives. Are there other i'm I don't know all of them, but maybe you could talk a little bit about this phenomena of the new sea companies
2: yeah um yeah I mean, I don't know how much I can tell you except um yeah you know the few seed companies that I've talked with uh who are you know relatively new um all organic and you know who and are direct marketing their seed um definitely the the demand is uh is is very strong and they're growing rapidly trying to meet and um you know, I think the consciousness of both farmers and gardeners is growing about the importance of uh having organic seed and you know and as much as possible open pollinated seed um, and you know i mean there's uh you know it's everything just happens in cycles and, you know, when organic farming became popular, it was all about not spraying herbicides and pesticides. And then, you know, it became focused on, you know, cycling nutrients and organic matter. And, you know, and and we've gotten through so many of the basics of organic farming that, you know, we keep taking on, you know, okay, well what's the next step in this, um, in this, Driving for you know complete sustainability okay well you know and it seems you know right now and in, in this time it's we're at the point where okay we need to really look at our seed system and and fold that into all our values that you know have guided our other organic practices um so you know i mean there's still there's still a big learning curve um you know for everybody who's not everybody, but many of us who are in the organic seeds movement, um, you know, there's uh, OSA is working hard to create some uh, informational resources and do some research on, you know, what does breeding for organics looks like, and you know, what what tools do we have, you know, how are we gonna how are we gonna deal with uh, seed-borne diseases, and how are we going to just maintain overall seed quality. Um, you know, because that is something the organic seed industry has struggled with. Some in the past is, um, you know, a farmer will buy some organic seed and it won't perform as well as their uh, the conventional seed they've been using for many years. And so, how can we, you know, it was either disease or it was either genetics or you know, but how can we get it, get the organic seed back to the point where it's a, you know, it's a viable competitor for a lot of the the conventionally grown uh, hybrids that are out there. Um, and that's just, you know, it's going to take some time and it's going to take a lot of education and uh, experience. And But, you know, hybrid seed, conventional hybrid seed been, people have been working hard on making that really good for 50, 60 years. And, um, you know, a lot of the OP organic varieties that are out there, you know, have only had someone really, working with them again, you know, 5, 10, maybe 15 years, and it just takes time to kind of really bring back some vigor and, uh, you know, uniformity or whatever traits you want in that, in those genetics. So, um, yeah, it's just a matter of people having the motivation, getting out there and wanting to do it, and then, uh, you know, asking for help and accessing and having access to the resources they need to do a good job.
1: So, moving forward continuously in the right direction and addressing as they arise all of the factors that make the current agricultural system unsustainable, labor, seeds, fertility cycling, fixing carbon, mm-hmm. training the next generation, accessing land, that's definitely not going to be a boring next 40 years.
2: <laughs> no. We've got a, go, sure. we <laughs> got a ways to go, that's for sure. We've a ways to go.
1: The other thing I've been thinking a lot about is just, like, the kind of experimentation that is going to be needed. You know, we've been working on this Young Farmers' Almanac and going through a bunch of historic almanacs and farmers' bulletins and USDA yearbooks and just reading about the super-progressive experimentation that was going on from the time of Jefferson onwards with cover crops and... um, you know, making experiments of tri- a variety of trials and pushing boundaries of what grows where, and you know, just for the good of agriculture, taking on projects mm-hmm. that may or may not work. And I really feel like that's that has has kind of almost stepped out of the has stepped out of the mainstream completely. That kind of mm-hmm. progress pro- progressivism. But I feel like it's so it's so well in tune with the kinds of wild and wacky and out of the box, thinking outside of the boxness of small farmers and uh, permaculture farmers and you know just like uh, weirdos. There's a lot of weirdo. We have a lot of love for the weirdos in our in our community. <laughs>
2: That's true. Yeah, and and I think. Uh... Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, so many farmers I know, I mean, they're always experimenting, you know, and pushing the boundaries on their own farm, and, you know, I I feel like the biggest missing piece there is that we need to make sure that we're sharing that information with each other, you know, I mean, because we are, um, we are all a little weird, and I think many of us are also, you know, very independent, you know, if, uh if we're willing to go out into the country and work really hard and and want to be uh, close to nature, you know, we also have to remember that to be able to do that really well, we have to connect with our peers and share information. And, um, you know, I mean, in part of it's finding the time to do that. Um, and so, you know, I know in all the different farming communities I've lived, um, I've always felt like we there was a lack of communication between farmers, um, you know, and we really need to rekindle that as much as possible, Um, you know, and then also give farmers just some basic skills and how to do, you know, um, randomized replicated trials, how to, you know, take some data, um, you know, try to keep it simple so that they'll actually do it, but then, you know, get it out on the web or get it, you know, Get it shared with everybody so that we can all help each other you know move forward uh move forward a little bit faster so that we're not all, we're not all replicating each other's work and um you know really seeing each other as uh, trying to help each other out and definitely not seeing each other as competition but yeah that's exciting i love I love uh experimenting and, and pushing the boundaries. I feel, saying, and I feel like
1: that open sourcing and that communication is gonna arise in has the potential to arise in new in new media ways. I mean I, I, we have a project called Farm Hack that we've been working on that's focused a lot on tool yeah. design. But I've been you know, just reading yeah. these farmer bulletins uh from the nineteen nineteen tens and, and you know, from the eighteen sixties, like people were engaged in long, protracted like forums. You know, with many different parties contributing, um, yeah. long conversations about the details of their of their experiments, and I I agree. This is this seems like a uh, something to rekindle. We just went yeah, down a rabbit I mean, hole. Uh oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the Greenhorns. I mean it's great what you guys are doing with your website and the Farm Hack and. Um, yeah, we just gotta keep tying all these threads together and, and helping each other out, sharing information. I think uh it's gonna make a big difference.
1: It's gonna make a big difference. So there you go. We we ran out of time. Oh no, we didn't run out of time. Um let's make sure that that you give your plug for your program and for the uh the regional offerings of the Puget Sound and then we can then then we'll be in our concluding time.
2: <laughs> okay. Great. Um yeah, well I would encourage uh anyone who's you know interested in starting their own small farm um, to check out Green Bank Farm. You know, check out uh lots of different opportunities. Um you know I started off as an apprentice um, and jumped into farming, just uh, running my own operation and you know it's definitely uh, one way to learn and it worked for me um, you know when when you're in the frying pan you you learn lessons quick but um but definitely working with um, some mentors or going through an educational uh, program and really Getting the big picture of how to manage a farm and what to think about, and how to run a small business, um, you know, can definitely accelerate um, a successful uh, farming uh, venture. So, so yeah, I invite folks uh, to come on out to the farm. You know, if you're interested in 2013, you know, try to find a, a few days this summer to spend some time with us. We always welcome people to come work with us listen to a class. Um, You know, so much of living and working on a farm is also just a social component. Um, And so we've got a, we've got a great team of people that we put together each year. We've got a farmhouse that they live in. Um, And yeah, we work hard to to study the ins and outs of organic farming and uh, small farm business. And then we have a, a good time, just working together, growing it. Well, years
1: thank you so much for being there community. and for doing what you're doing, and for urging everyone to get on the ball, be organized, proactive, think ahead, plan. <laughs> uh, and if you're thinking yep. about farming now, now is a is a fine time to think about farming for 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 next year and and expand your time horizon uh, to the scale and scope that's possible for you right now. And maybe that means you could just do an experimental. Day trip or weekend trip, and start looking at the options for apprenticeships uh, and programs for next year. Okay, yeah. Thanks,
2: everyone. It's great talking and, with you. And uh,
1: one thing that I should remind everyone is we're having a workshop on July eighth. It's called "Negotiation Makes It Happen," and actually, maybe maybe Jack or or Joe will put it on at the end of all of our uh, podcasts because. Is an important negotiation and conflict management training, and it's free. It's in Hudson at the Basilica. Um, it's organized by the Greenhorns and the New York State Agricultural Mediation Program, and it's all about figuring out what you want and getting what you want and negotiating with landowners, credit providers, and, you know, the, the whole rest of the real world as you start your farm business. So... Negotiation makes it happen. Space is limited. So get registered. at thegreenhorns.net. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you to you, Sebastian. Yeah, thank you. Great talking
2: to you. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.